Tony, Friday, thousands of theaters around the country began showing a new two-minute trailer for what can possibly be described as the most eagerly awaited new movie of the decade. Two words. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Movie fans lined up just to see the trailer. The Hollywood Reporter says at L.A.'s Man's Chinese Theater, attendance shot up 1,100%. Tonight they ran a sneak preview of this Star Wars trailer. Uh, I think I might leave off the trailer, though. I don't know. You actually paid to go in to see a movie just to see the trailer, and then you left? Yes. Because it's an awesome two and a half minutes. One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Include, but it's not later. Who talk of Star Wars, not Reagan's. We can't truly prepare for the joke that follows this song. But hey, we give it a try. So here's the happy star wars bandwagon day i mean uh happy may the 4th everybody i am zach weber your humble host and I am joined by another person, Rob. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back on after uh, the nightmare that was our discussion about Reagan's defense system. Uh, that got Things got pretty heated in that episode. Maybe that was the part that cut out when uh, some people were fighting and stuff. But no, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to come back on. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you back after. But no, Mr. Star Jones. Star Jones would not pick up our phone calls. Yeah, it was something like he thought we were making fun of him or something like that. But I, I swear that was just a, a good, intelligent debate about Reagan's Star Wars. But we're not here to talk about today. Uh, we are here to talk about something, I think, different for Knights of Vader. Is that right, Zach? We're going to go a little bit off the beaten path when it comes to Star Wars. But something that's actually appropriate, and it's an anniversary. Two of my favorite things when it comes to movies and Star Wars. Woo! So we are talking about... And you don't know yet because it's not the title of the episode. Nineteen ninety nine. That's the best kind of topic. So what you can blindside the audience all at once. <laughs> we are talking about Meet Joe Black. Oh boy! Everybody's favorite Brad Pitt and Anthony Hopkins film, also featuring Jeffrey Tambor and Marsha Gay Harden. Yeah. <laughs> Any Marsha Gay Harden fans in the audience? Whoa! Run right here. I like her uh, in the Mist, where she's the religious fanatic. That's a good one. And oh, she has yeah. a re- yeah, and she has a recurring role um, as an FBI agent on none other than Law and Order's Vu. Oh man, we hit the sweet spot when it comes to Rob. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, all of Law and Order is awesome, and I've seen it more times than I uh, should probably admit. Zvu being one of my guilty pleasures. You know, you watch that, you watch the episodes over and over, and then you got to take a break. You know, every maybe three to four minutes to wash your eyes out with soap. It's so disgusting, but oh, I love it. <laughs> good, 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 good. See, keep, keep it as far away from Star Wars as possible. But to those, I would imagine most people in our audience have probably already figured out how we're going to connect Meet Joe Black to Star Wars. When Meet Joe Black was released in November of 1998, there was a trailer attached for The Phantom Menace. Obviously, this month being the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace, and I think if anybody knows their Star Wars lore, they'll know that 
Star Wars nerds were actually going to see Meet Joe Black, buying a ticket solely to see the Phantom Menace trailer, then proceeding to leave after the trailer aired. That's the best decision. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I completely disagree. Um, as somebody who, again, 20 years ago, would have probably bought a ticket to see the Phantom Menace trailer, just to, you know what, seen that in a theater. Um, you know what? And if I would have sat around for the rest of this movie, I don't think I would have been disappointed. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't think I would have been disappointed because I definitely got a, a uh, I guess we haven't set up how we watch this movie, but from what I saw of this movie, I had a very... Uh, I got almost infuriated at parts. I was angry at this movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Okay. So angry in a good way, I should say, <laughs> if that's a, if that's a real thing. <laughs> um, well, I cringed a lot during this, but that's, that's a story for, that's for later on. So to let people know, um, the reason why we're doing this for May the 4th is that I hate May the 4th the day. It's like I said earlier, it's Star Wars bandwagon day. It's when the entire internet decides it's going to be a Star Wars fan. And it's like, oh god, you have so many normies and filthy casuals like post a picture of Darth Vader on like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They're like, may the 4th be with you. And some, it's, it's the exact people who Disney makes these movies for now. It's mm -hmm. the people who think about Star Wars twice a year when they buy their ticket and when they leave the theater and that's it. Yep. And it's not for Star Wars fans. May the 4th is probably the least Star Warsy day for a Star Wars fan. <laughs> but anyway, though, so Rob and I decided to talk about Meet Joe Black instead. Because you know what? Nothing screams Star Wars Day like talking about death coming back to coming to the real world as Brad Pitt. Yes. And But the problem, though, is that when I originally pitched this idea to Rob, we looked at the runtime for Meet Joe Black. And we realized it's 180 minutes long, or for those of you in Realville, three hours. And, that, and, we went, and that's not an overestimate. It actually runs three hours and then a few seconds. It's yes, crazy. It is a full-length film at three hours. And I think, I, I don't know if I've said it on Knights of Vader, but I'm pretty sure I've said it on Cinemodies, is that it should be a crime for any movie to be longer than two hours. <laughs> if you're a filmmaker and you want to make a film more than two hours, you should go to jail afterwards for a few months. It would have stopped uh, Zack Snyder after making his greatest film. So, you know, would have, he would have ended on a high note there. <laughs> exactly. His greatest film, in quotation marks. Um, that could be any of his, his canon, basically. <laughs> That's a good point. They're all, you know, four plus hours. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate cuts, anyway. I know. That's uh, why everybody, you don't want the Justice League Snyder cut. You, you're going to, like, die halfway through it. It's so long. You don't want it. <laughs> it just never ends. It's like, wasn't the person had, like, a 60 hour film and it just constantly plays? It just never ends. He's like, he's still yeah. making it. That's yeah, essentially say, uh, what, what the Snyder cut is of Justice League. Yeah, it's a tool album, as Zach likes to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Rob, please tell our audience, once we figured out the runtime of this, what did we decide to do to make this a much more manageable experience? So, uh, like Zach said, three hours, it should be a crime. Um, I didn't want to watch this movie for three hours. I had no interest in it. I knew Zach might have had a little more history, but he came up with the idea, why don't we split it? Why don't one of us watch the first half of the movie? And the other one watched the other half, the second half of the film. And I was like sold. That cuts it down to, you know, a little under an hour and a half uh, because we, we actually, you know, took the halfway mark from when the credits begin. We didn't go to the full three hours, um, you know, to make it fair, of course. So whoever watched the second half uh, didn't get a little more, you know, less, a little less movie, I should say. But uh, we decided to split it up and we figured, well, one, this would save us some time, save us some sanity. And two, it would be an interesting thing to discuss 
because now in this recording, Zach and I are going to fill each other in. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah, I think so. So just to kind of reiterate that is that I watched the first half, so I have no idea how the movie concludes. Mm -hmm. And Rob watched the second half, so he has no idea how anything gets started. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, and folks, I know on this podcast, I've said a couple of times that if I, if I was able to talk about the holiday special every episode, I would. And then I also qualify that by saying that if I could talk about Colin Nadman Trevorrow's The Book of Henry every episode, I would. And you know what? I think I have to add a third. There's going to be a trinity now. If I can talk about Meet Joe Black every episode of the podcast, <laughs> I think I would. If I could get away from doing that, I, could, I definitely would try it. What we don't get to on this May the 4th, Tune in next May the 4th for the remainder of the conversation. (laughs) This will be every May the 4th. We're going to dive a little deeper into Meet Joe Black. (laughs) Absolutely. I have no problems with that. Oh, man. So, Rob, so how do you want to do this? Do you you want me to basically give a summary of what happens during my portion of the film? Then you'll give a summary of what happens during your portion? Uh, I think think that's a good place to start. Uh, But before we jump into that, I do want to say that, um, you know, Zach and I just, you know, Zach like scrubbed through the movie and said, where do the credits start? Let's take that time, cut it in half. And it was about an hour and 27 minutes. And that's where I started. I started at exactly the hour 27 minute mark. As I, Zach said, I watched the second half of the film. I just wanted to point out, because I know once we get into questions and all the, all this, all of what this movie is, it, it might get lost in the shuffle. I just wanted to point out that when I started at the hour and 27 minute mark, One of the first lines, if it's not the first line a character says when I started watching the second half, it's very close to it. Someone actually says, who is Joe Black? And I was like, that's exactly what I'm asking, man. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even get to meet him. (laughs) So I just wanted to point that out that I thought that was actually like the split came out perfectly. And I should point out that, like, we didn't even pick a scene. Like, we legit just, like, picked an exact, like, timestamp and ran with it. Like, hard like, cut, yeah. <laughs> hard cut, essentially. Um, so, yeah. This, okay, so this is my summary of the first half of Metro Black. And I guess, spoiler alert for a film that's, like, 20, 20 and a half years old. Um, the film begins with Anthony Hopkins. And he gets, like, woken up in the middle of the night by somebody, like, like yelling yes at him. Okay. Like, like he wakes up like out of like sleep and he's like he hears someone like yelling, Yes, yes. And he's like, What? And he just keeps yelling yes. Okay. And then we see him like he wakes up, he like gets dressed, and like he's at some like like like, like a state or something. And there's like like all sorts of like stuff being like constructed. It looks like, like like kind of like a venue for a party. His daughter, one of his daughters, played by Marsha Gay Harden, mm-hmm. is like going around being like, oh, oh, you're putting the things wrong here. How are we going to finish building this in time? And she's like running around, like just being like very like, like not almost like a busybody, but like she's kind of like spinning all these plates essentially. Mm-hmm. And then we go and Anthony Hopkins has like a cup of like coffee with his other daughter. And, like, he's talking to her, and he's like, oh, like, what's your opinion, or how do you feel about, gotta find the character's name, about Drew? And I'm like, who on earth is Drew? I'm like, I'm supposed to be watching the first half of this. And she's like, well, I kind of like him. And then, like, a helicopter lands at the estate. Drew comes out. I guess Drew and his other daughter, Susan, are an item. And they they all get in the helicopter. And they fly away, and Jeffrey Tambor's there for some reason. With a a mustache, right? With a mustache. (laughs) Um, And on the helicopter ride to New York City, 
it's not explained why they're not in New York City. They're apparently flying to Anthony Hopkins' home. Mm-hmm. He lives like in a like in a high rise. But in the helicopter ride, Anthony Hopkins is telling his daughter that's not Marsha Gay Harden. Like, oh, when you meet like the person, it's gonna feel like lightning struck. It's gonna be like this amazing feeling. And he's telling her this all while Drew is literally right across from them in the helicopter. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And so, okay, so they they disembark from the helicopter and they're like, oh, they go they each go about their ways, like Anthony Hopkins and Drew. Apparently, Drew works for Anthony Hopkins. You think yeah, that'd be a mistake? I, so I, I think the name Drew, I, I called him in my notes, bad business dude. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that his name was Drew until like the very end of the movie because he's he's throughout the film. I guess I'll tell Zach. Uh, Drew makes many appearances. But I for like the longest part, I was like, this is just bad business, dude. <laughs> yeah, because it's weird because like he, he at one point, Anthony Hopkins describes him as like his number one. But I'm like, wait, he's but he's at the same time, like screwing around with his daughter. And I'm like, that's that's just weird. Like, that's like the first rule of like business. You don't kind of crap where you eat. Mm-hmm. And so they go each to go their separate ways. And uh, I guess I would say Anthony Hopkins daughter I guess the main daughter That's not Marsha Gay Harden's name is Susan, Susan. is her name yeah, Susan, Susan Played by Claire Forlani Who I might find Who I find maybe the most Oh god Horrifyingly beautiful woman I've ever seen <laughs> Like I was just like Mesmerized by her Much like how Rob was mesmerized In our real scary stories episode About uh, the girl with the pretty eyes I was mesmerized by uh, Claire Forlani Like I just, I found her oddly hypnotic in this, but that's that's a story for another day. Oh no, yeah, she. Uh, I we'll we'll get to her in the second half of the movie because I, I had some strong negative emotional reactions <laughs> to some of the scenes she was in. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I agree as well. You know, this like there's some there's some things that just kind of pop out at you and you're like, man, you're mesmerized by him for sure. Yes. So she like after disembarks from the helicopter goes like walking to like a coffee shop diner. She goes in like orders a cup of coffee and we see Brad Pitt. And there's a reason why I'm not calling him Joe Black yet. And we (laughs) see him there and he's like on a payphone, like really obnoxiously talking into it. He's like, don't do it, baby. You're better than this. Don't try. It's like, don't do it. I believe in you. And like, uh, Claire Forlani, Susan can't help but notice that, like, like, like just how loud he is. So she's like listening mm-hmm. to his conversation. He gets off, gets off the phone. He's like, like, he's like, like winking at her and like smiling at her. And he's like, and she's like so turned off by this. Okay, like she is like, like so turned off by his presence during this moment. And he's like, oh, I was talking to my kid sister. Her boyfriend broke up with her, and I she's about to drop out of law school because of it. And she's like, uh huh. I, I completely has no interest in him. Sure. And so he sits there like orders breakfast, and he's like eating breakfast while like talking. So it's like some of the most awkward. Like he's like, so what are you doing here? Like it's it's so weird, and it's like, and so like eventually he just keeps like sweet talking her, and she's like buy, and she's slowly like buying into it. Yet at the same time, like being repulsed by it. Mm-hmm. And it's this weird sort of just like 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 oh god, contrast and emotions. Like he's sweet talking her, and she's buying into it. Yet at the same time, like she's acting like she's repulsed by it. I can't figure out what's going on. Okay. So like we so we cut a couple times. We cut back to like Anthony Hopkins, and like we go back and forth. So we cut back to the diner. And we see them and like he's bought her a cup of coffee and they're both like sitting there and like they're at this point it's like they're much more like engaged with each other. 
Okay. And so, like, she's like, oh, but I'm a doctor and I have to get to work. So, like, they leave the coffee shop and, and possibly the greatest scene in cinematic history occurs. Oh. As, and I'm not, this is not in, like, overstating it or hyperbolizing. I want everybody be because I can't insert the clip here because it won't do it justice. <laughs> if you're listening to this, I want you to type into YouTube right now, meet Joe Black car scene. Okay. I want you to t- I want you to type it into YouTube right now, everybody. Well, wait. I want you to put this on pause and go do that. I know Pork Knight will. Pork Knight, if you're listening to this, put the episode on pause and go type it into YouTube. So, okay, everybody, come back. You should be you should be dying laughing right now based on. Oh what my I'm going god! To to you. I just Googled it. I didn't even watch the video yet, but the first result <laughs> is Meet Joe Black. Brad Pitt gets hit by two cars. <laughs> Like it specifically says two cars. <laughs> All right, before Rob clicks on it. Okay, okay. What, so what happens is, you know what? I might feel do it justice. Rob, we are going to both watch this video at the same time. <laughs> okay. And we're going to watch your live reaction. Because remember, folks, Rob has not seen this yet. Yeah, I yeah. I didn't know he got hit by a car. Okay, I am there. All right. And on three, we'll both hit play. Okay. One. Two, three, play. I oh, want Brad, you to Brad Pitt's in this? <laughs> I want you to count how many times they look back at each other. Each okay, of them. Okay. Oh, okay. I think we're at one each right now. <laughs> okay, this is definitely the same movie that I saw the second half of. <laughs> okay. This crazy sh- doesn't stop. <laughs> Okay, that's twice for him now. Three times for her now. (laughs) Okay, she's still looking back at him. Still looking back. Now she's left. Okay, yeah. Third time (laughs) he looks back now. That's the place to do it, right in the middle of the road, yeah. Wait for it, folks. Wait for it. Oh, oh, man. (laughs) Boom goes the dynamite. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's great. It's great. Oh, man. That is so, it looks so comical. (laughs) It is. Whoever made, okay, I guess at this point we should break into the fact that the person who directed this is the same person that directed 2003's Geely featuring Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner. I'm sorry, uh, J-Lo? I looked that up. (laughs) Which is is considered one of the worst films ever made. Yep. It's considered Ed Wood level, like real Ed Wood, not Johnny Depp Ed Wood. (laughs) So this scene happens. I practically peed myself laughing. Yeah, that, I, uh, that kind of going from that you know music swelling and they keep looking at each other and then bam, that's that's great. That's oh. that's a reveal right there. <laughs> well, the best part is that like I love like campy, corny crap in movies. Mm-hmm. So like when they're looking back at each other, I'm dying. Like like it happens six times between the two, and they keep yes. looking back at each other. So I am dying at that. And when he gets hit by the car twice, and just how comical it is. Like it's shot comedically. Like this is something that should be in Dumb and Dumber or a Farley Brothers movie. At this point, the movie spoke to me, and it said, "Game on." <laughs> nice. So we have this, and 
he gets hit by the car, and it, we never see any resolution to this. Like he gets hit, as we don't even know his name at this point. Mm-hmm. And so we go through the entire, basically, the rest of the movie, and we see at one point, like Anthony Hopkins starts having like heart palpitations in his office, and he's like arguing with himself. Okay. Like he's having chest pains. He's like collapsing on the floor while he hears the voice. And he's like, what are you? Stop talking to me. As he's like clenching his chest, which again, (laughs) comical as hell. Sure. Sure. And so you have that and he's sitting down to dinner with his family. He gets like, he hears the voice again. Like this is the third time now he's heard the voice and he asked like one of the, like the maids to be like, get the door. And like the person's like, Oh, there's somebody waiting for, like there was somebody by the door. Like, what do you want me to do with them? He's like, tell them I'll meet them in my library. So he goes into the library and like, we see was Brad Pitt, like obstructed by like stained the glass talking mm-hmm. to him through the wall. And like, it goes on for like two or three minutes until eventually he reveals himself. We have the entire thing that, that Brad, like Brad Pitt is like the angel of death and, but not like, but I I guess it's the, it's the angel of death just inhabiting the first body it came across that day. Yeah. And so he tells Anthony Hopkins, like, yo dog, you go and die. But if you let me like observe your life for a few days, I'll let you live a couple of days longer to get your affair, like your affairs in order. And Anthony Hopkins is like, I don't have a choice in this. Do I? That's Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt's like, no. Death just wants to see how a human lives? That's it? Yes, that's it. Th- that was one of my biggest questions. I was like, why is Death following Anthony Hopkins around? And he it's just, just because he, oh my, oh God. Oh, that, that's, that's great. <laughs> but that's so disappointing because I thought it was actually going to be like, you know, they had struck a deal or like or a more intriguing deal other than just like, yeah, it's like, I, I want to see how you live. You know, that's so, that's so simple. But that's like that's part of it, though. That's that's because a couple of times, like Anthony Hopkins makes like more deals with him. He's like, "Oh, I don't want." It's like, "Oh, like are we going to be honest with each other?" And then okay. a couple of times, he'll tell Joe that I guess we okay, Ugh, okay, we'll get into that later on. So he like he tells like so death tells him essentially like I want to like follow your life and observe you. And he's like, well, I'm eating with my family. Can you wait until afterwards? And he's like, nope, I want to meet the family. And, and like, and Rob said, this movie is like the definition of cringe and awkward. Oh, like, awkward is a really good way to put it. Like every single performance in this, it's like the actors are like gritting through their teeth trying to read the dialogue. <laughs> and so uh, at this point, like Brad Pitt, Anthony Hopkins comes out to the dinner table with Brad Pitt. And the only people that are there at the dinner table so far are Drew, Marsha Gay Harden, and Jeffrey Tambor. And he's introducing them. He's like, this is my like old friend. Never mind Brad Pitt looks like he's 12 in this. Yes. And they're like, well, what's your name? And Anthony Hopkins is like, uh, uh, name, huh? Uh, he's like, Joe. And they're like, Joe who? And he's like, uh, uh, uh. Black, they're like, nice to meet you, Joe Black. Okay, and we have all that. They they invite him to sit down to dinner, and they're like, kind of just, oh god, I don't know, how, I don't know what happens in the second half of this, or maybe Brad Pitt's performance gets a little bit more relaxed, but like he is acting as if he's dead behind the eyes, <laughs> like he looks like a like a mannequin or like a a puppet, like he just looks like he is like it's like a zombie esque performance. Yeah, that does not change. Okay, so he looks like he's dead behind the eyes for the rest of the film. 
Yep, even in like the final scene where it's like they get the they get the bad guy. I'm doing air quotes. It's just like he's stone faced standing still and it's just like there's no emotion or anything. It's it's so weird. Like stoic's not a strong enough word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so while he's sitting there with them, he gets entered like at that point Susan's not there yet, the woman from the coffee shop, and she shows up and she's like, "So you followed me home?" It's like it's like what is going on? Obviously, Death has no idea who she is, mm-hmm. and or I guess Joe Black doesn't. Yeah. So we have that, and like it's just like he's being introduced to everybody. And it's so awkward, and oh god, I'm trying to think. It's oh god, I'm trying. I'm trying to keep it as condensed as possible, and we have a point like after everybody kind of like goes home. Or everybody kind of like retires after dinner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That like Anthony Hopkins Shows Joe to like his quarters And like I, there's this part In this and again I, I, I wish I could insert Video clips into this audio podcast <laughs> But like Brad Pitt like Interacts with the bed in a way I've never Seen a human being interact with a bed before Okay like it's like Imagine if you showed an alien that had No body weight what a bed is That's what he does and so after that, like, like we see him, like he starts like wandering around like their penthouse apartment, and like he'll start just like walking around. He wanders into like the kitchen where like the maids and the cooks are kind of just, I guess, like they're eating their own supper. Mm-hmm. And he walks in, and one of the butlers is like eating like peanut butter on toast. Okay. And he's like, "What is that?" Like again, in the most stoic way possible, he's like, "What are you eating?" And the butler's like. I'm eating peanut butter, sir. Mrs. I don't know. It's some like brand. It's some fake brand. Like, oh, it's Mrs. Haverdashes. Sure. And he's like, "What is it?" And he's like, "And the butler's like, well, it's not as good as Jiff or Skippy, but it gets the job done." And it's like, "Would you like to try some, sir?" Yes, I would. And it's just the most. It's it's so alien and foreign, <laughs> and like it's so weird. Like and it goes on for like five minutes. Okay, and, like, I'm glad you're bringing this up because one of my big questions was. Why does Brad Pitt want peanut butter so bad in the second half of this movie? Like, there's there's scenes where he like he will just say to people, "He's like, do you have any peanut butter?" And they'd be like, "No, I I don't think so, sir." Oh, that's fine then. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that be I, 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 even in the first half, the peanut butter becomes like a major plot point. <laughs> Because like they give like the like the butler gets him like a teaspoon of peanut butter and he's just mesmerized by it. Okay. And he eats the peanut butter off the like the first spoon and the butler's like, "Would you like some more, sir?" And he's like, <laughs> "Why, yes, I would." And so the butler gives him another spoon and like his face just lights. It's only very few times like he's animated. And then we cut back and he's just wandering the halls of the penthouse licking his peanut butter spoon. <laughs> <laughs> like very deliberately licking it Not just like like just like like like, like a lot of, He's like enjoying it okay. And so he's walking around He sees Susan swimming in the penthouse Swimming pool mm-hmm. And he's watching her And like she starts like basically like Kind of like what you'd expect in this She's like starts like mouthing off to him Being like oh you're Mr. Like Mr. Congeniality Like in the coffee shop But once you realize who my father is You become like all quiet And he's just sitting there Just like like doe-eyed staring into the void looking at her and she's like and he just keeps like licking the spoon she's like what are you doing he's like i like peanut butter and so like he keeps licking it while he's talking to her and eventually he licks all the peanut butter off so he sticks it in his shirt pocket and she's like what are you doing and she takes it out and takes the spoon away from him (laughs) so we have that it's like and that kind of ends how you expect and the next morning it's like oh like he's putting on a suit 
Like, he knows how to put a suit on, except for a tie. And it's a three-piece suit. So, I don't know mm-hmm. how he knew how to do that. So, like, eventually, like, this is another point where, like, Anthony Hopkins and him are, like, arguing. And he's like, oh, as long as you're honest with me, Joe, I'll be, like, honest with you. And so, he takes Joe to the office. And they're having, like, a um, board of directors meeting. He tells the secretary, like, take care of Joe. Joe's like, nuh-uh-uh. I need to sit in with this. And so he sits in and there's like this part where like he sits like Anthony Hopkins like introduces him to the board of directors. He's like, oh, this is like my associate, mm-hmm. Joe Black. He's going to sit on this meeting. And it's like, and Joe's just standing there and he's like, Joe, do you want to sit down? Yes, thank you. And he goes and sits in a chair. He starts like awkwardly twirling in it and then like awkwardly pulls his chair up to the desk. And he like, and like, so Drew is there. Drew's like, well, we're going to have a, a merger with Mr. Business Executive Man. And, and Joe's like, mm, these cookies are delicious. <laughs> and it's like, and Drew's like, excuse me? Like, it's funny. Drew is maybe the only character in this that's somehow aware of how bad everything going on is. <laughs> and he's like, well, he's like, well, I'm glad you're enjoying these, these, these cookies. Would you like some, like, very, like, um facetiously he's like would you like some tea to go with these and brad pitt's like why yes i would i would actually like to take an english style and then drew's like would you like some water with that too and brad pitt's like yes and drew's like would you like that chilled or bottled you know i'd like it chilled and so we sit there and like it's so i I mean like i will insert that clip in here there's an acceptance of john bonnecue's generous offer and bill of these delicious cookies the jelly ones mm, and a cup of tea with milk i think I'd like to try it english style yes cup of tea with milk please is there anything else mr black how about some water mm, why yes thank you hot or cold cold and a glass mm. it's the cringiest just like i <laughs> it's inexplicable like it's genuinely inexplicable how nobody watched this or during that takes it. How can we do this? So the board meeting goes on for most of the board meeting. They cut Brad Pitt out of it. You don't see him at all. Okay. It's almost focused. In, like it's framed almost entirely on Anthony Hopkins. And so at the very end, like at the meeting, Anthony Hopkins is like, I don't want to do this meeting. It's like, I'm not letting Mr. Businessman buy my company. Oh, and- okay. So they introduced the merger with the, with the other, some other company. Yes. Okay. The merger, okay. the merger is practically introduced in the first like three minutes of the movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. It's not really seriously addressed until about an hour into the movie though. Sure. sure. Which is only a third of the way through folks. Which, which is only <laughs> a third of the way into the film. So as like Anthony Hopkins like storms out of the thing, but, and then there's another moment like right before that, where like Drew's like chastising like Anthony Hopkins for like, like disregarding or just like discarding like the merger. And mm. it's like, come on, Anthony Hopkins, the only two sure, sure things in life are death and taxes. And like Joe Black starts laughing and he's like, ha ha ha. And Drew's like, what do you find amusing about this? And he's like, I don't understand what that means. Death and taxes. Like, and Drew's like, do you need me to explain that to you? I'll insert the clip here. But given our needs, given the absolute necessity for growth, given the future, the truth is joining John Bonacue is every bit as certain as death and taxes. Death and taxes? Yes. Death and taxes? Yes. But non Perry. It's just a saying, Mr. Black. Hmm. By whom? Doesn't matter. Then why'd you bring it up? <sighs> You're not familiar with the phrase, in this world nothing is certain, but death and taxes? Well, I am now. Glad I could be of some help. 
I keep a regular office hours. If there's any further information you might need on sayings, common phrases, manners of speaking, my door's wide open. The tea I can provide, perhaps even the milk. Low fat. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I think we've accomplished everything we're going to here this morning. But it is just, again, it's bizarre dialogue. Like, I would imagine somewhere Colin Trevorrow watched this, and this is the entire foundation for his career. <laughs> um, nice. So we have that, and then we possibly have the second greatest scene in the film, after okay. the, the car scene. I guess I should re-qualify that. The second best scene in the first half of the film. <laughs> so, so somehow Joe Black finds the hospital that Susan works at, and he goes to her, and she and she's like, "What are you doing here?" He's like, "I came to see you." And she's like, "You can't be here. This is my work. Like I have things to do." He's like, "I want to observe you," and she's like, "And she's like a hundred percent like okay with this." Like he is saying the definition of like stalker weird ass crap, and she's like oddly smitten by this. Okay. And then, then again, the second greatest part of the first half of the movie happens. A a a Jamaican a Jamaican. Mother and her daughter show up, and the mother's being wheeled in a wheelchair, and they're She's like, "Is the first half of the movie?" Okay, good, good. I have so many questions. She comes back, Zach. <laughs> okay, good, good. Um, and the Jamaican woman is like, I guess the mother, who again, who's like somewhat elder, like elderly, you would say. Yeah, yeah. And and Susan's like, "Ma'am, I'll get to you in a second. She's like, "There's nothing wrong with that man that pri- that can be prioritized over my mother." And the mother's like. The mother somehow knows that he's deaf. She's like, no, no, don't, don't let them near me. Don't let them near me. And I am just like dying laughing as Brad Pitt has that just dull, like deer in the headlights dumb look on his face. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't let them near me. And Susan's like, Susan and the mother and the daughter are like, It'll, you'll be okay with him. It's like, why are you letting this random man next to this sick woman? And she's like, and the mother, like the Jamaican woman is completely freaked out by him. Mm-hmm. And then. Once again, I think Rob's going to have to watch the clip of this because I can't do it justice. Well, you might be getting at something that answers one of my questions because there's only one scene with this old Jamaican woman in the hospital in the second half of the movie. And for reasons unbeknownst to me, possibly unbeknownst to both of us, Zach, in the entire scene, which is just the Jamaican woman laying in a bed and and, um, I almost said Jack Black, Joe Black, (laughs) talking to her. Brad Pitt puts on a Jamaican accent <laughs> for the entire conversation. And there was actually a part because I, I, I like because when I was watching this last night, I actually paused the movie and I was like, and I was like, am I too messed up right now? Like, did I not notice his accent in the rest of this half of the movie? And I was like, and I was like, no, like I'm, I'm I got all my faculties with me. He's just doing an accent. And I was like, I thought he was making fun of her or something. <laughs> yeah, okay. Rob, okay, so, so he does that again. So for me, it, I guess for Rob, it came even more out of nowhere. But he starts to, like, console this woman. He's like, it's all right, Mom. I'm going to take good care of you. And she's – and, like, and I mean, it comes out of nowhere. And I'm like – like, I am at this point, like, I am covering my mouth. I'm like, I am embarrassed. Doctor. Oh, um, just one second. I'll be right there. Please, my mama is sicker than him. Obia. No, Mama. Obia, man. I'm going to die. Mama, stop it. It's just a man. What's Obia? Bad spirit. She just all fever. She don't mean nothing. Please help us. Of course. No, Obia, sister. No devil, no dopey. Everything going to be iry. 
Have you registered? No. You going to be all right, Mama? Go over to Dr. Lady Mama. going to be fine now. Don't leave. Don't leave me. She'll be right back. Okay. Obia. Be evil, I not evil, woman. And what you is then? I from that next place. You waiting here to take us? Like you's the bus driver to the No, man, I on holiday. Some spot you pick. Pause for a second from the movie. Like, the look back from what I've only seen again, an hour and 27 minutes of this. Mm-hmm. I'm watching this, and I have no idea how Brad Pitt's career was not destroyed by this. That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know how anybody involved with this film's career wasn't destroyed afterwards. But, like, I have no idea. Like, this is, like, at this point, even before the Jamaican accent scene, I'm like, this is, like, a whore. Like, like Brad Pitt is a good actor. At this point, we know what Brad Pitt can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But clearly the director is directing him 100% wrong on how to be- like act in this. Okay. And I'm like how on earth did nobody like with all the talent in this, Anthony Hopkins, Marsha Gay Hart and Jeffrey Tambor, like these are established actors at this point. Like Brad yeah. Pitt was still like like interview what was it like interview with the vampire mm-hmm. um what uh Thelma and Louise, oh, Legends sure, of the Fall, yeah. those sort of things. So he was still like more or less playing a pretty boy. He wasn't like like a serious actor at this point. But like I have no idea how he did this and been like I I I would imagine it numerous times during the filming of this, he called up his agent and was like, You have to get me out of this. <laughs> because this is this is the sort of stuff that careers are destroyed by. And I'm not talking about like politically correct cancel culture. I'm talking about just like this is such a horrible performance. Yeah, yeah. So the Jamaican scene happens. Uh, if I haven't already, I'll insert it now. That happens. I'm like at this point, I've we- I've had to change my underwear twice because I've peed myself so many times. <laughs> and then we cut back to Anthony Hopkins. He's still stewing about like his deal and the fact that like death is going to kill him. And while he's sitting there, Brad Pitt is eating a sandwich. Okay. And he's like, and like he's really enjoying the sandwich, not as much as peanut butter, but he's enjoying the sandwich. <laughs> and he's like, mmm, this is delicious. And he's and Anthony Hopkins is like, have you never had a cold lamb sandwich? <laughs> the phrase cold lamb sandwich is said at least seven times during the scene. And at one point, Anthony Hopkins says possibly the greatest line of dialogue. It is up there with hmm. is up there with, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn and play it again, Sam, which I know okay. I got wrong. He says the line, my wife used to say cold lamb sandwiches are great. Because they're not as chewy as roast beef, yet not as boring as chicken. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Somebody had to write that line. It probably got the script probably got rewritten numerous times and nobody took that line out. And on top of it, the actors said it numerous times over the period of numerous takes. And yet it made it into the final film too. Oh man. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right Cold on. lamb sandwiches because they're not as chewy as roast beef, yet not as boring as chicken. I don't think I've ever had cold lamb. Cold lamb doesn't sound good. Lamb is great, but but it's like got to be warm at least. Like cold lamb. That's just so weird. Okay, so we got so at this point, like Anthony Hopkins, like calls like his secretary. He's like, I want my family to have another dinner together. They're all sitting around the dinner table. It's the same people. It's Susan Drew, Jeffrey Tambor, Marsha Gay Harden, Joe Black, and Anthony Hopkins. And Anthony Hopkins proposes a toast in what is possibly the third funniest moment in the first <laughs> half of the film. He says the line, like he's he's giving a toast, and he's like, "I remember when you were little girls," addressing his daughters. He mm-hmm. has kind of like a a emotional pause and Jeffrey Tambor turns around in oddly prophetic line. And I saying this verbatim and I quote, I love little girls. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> and I, at this point I'm like, Oh my God. I remember when uh, you were little girls and uh, I love little girls. I am just like, I'm like, how can this movie? Like, so, and so now I'm have one other point before my, my hour and 27 minutes are over. Okay. And while they're sitting there, like being served by the wait staff, the wait staff comes over with like the meat plate to Joe black. And he's about to put a piece of meat onto his plate. And he goes, no, no, no meat. He goes, do you have any peanut butter? And the, wa- <laughs> and the waiter goes on toast, sir. And he says, and I quote, just the butter. Just the butter, okay. <laughs> oh no, I would prefer some peanut butter. How would you like that, sir, on some kind of toast? Toast? No, just the butter. Right away, sir. Why do you like peanut butter so much? And the final scene, which isn't really funny, the scene where I would at, I ended and where Rob picked up was Drew is having like a clandestine meeting with all the other board members yep. trying mm-hmm. to have try to basically force the merger to happen without Anthony Hopkins knowing. OK, yeah, that's exactly uh, where I picked up. And and like I said earlier, you know, it, I think where it starts is they're in that meeting and Drew is leading it. Bad business dude is leading it uh, as I knew him when I saw it. And he's, he's like, who is Joe Black? You know, it's like it's almost like that Twin Peaks. Like, who is Judy? Who is Joe Black? <laughs> Philip, tell me. Tell me the coordinates, Philip, of Joe Black. Um, so, okay. Uh, I guess uh, everybody tune in next year for the second half of Joe Black. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> no. All right. Okay. Zach, you clued me in on some things. Um I'm glad I got that info, but just as you said, that car accident scene, that was the thing in this movie, and well, in your half, where you were like, I'm sold, I'm, I'm on board. I had a scene similar to that as well. It wasn't that business scene, because that does play out, like, at the end of that scene where I think Drew pretty much is trying to convince all the board members that uh, Anthony Hopkins is, like, basically relying on Joe Black to run the business and he thinks this is bad and he wants the merger to happen with the other bad business dude. And then for some reason, Jeffrey Tambor's there and they're like, they get, he, Drew gets Jeffrey Tambor to tell the board members that it's like, 
uh, Anthony Hopkins is relying on Joe to a, a great extent. And so the board is like, oh, oh and they mumble. But that scene ends. And then we get the scene that sold me because it's another dinner scene. And it's it's Joe. It's Susan. It's Marsha Gay Harden. It's Jeffrey Tambor. And it's Anthony Hopkins. No Drew. It's just these people. And the scene starts where they're like eating and the, the, the waiters start to bring just different types of cakes in, like three or four, maybe even more, just cakes. And they put them all on the table and <laughs> Anthony Hopkins is like, what is this? And it's, it, Marcia Gay Harden says, it's cakes, daddy. And he's like, I don't like cake. And she's like, it's, it's, and he's like, and she goes, it's for the party. And he goes, oh, the party. The goddamn party. And Marsha Gay Harden just starts to sob. Like, she just starts crying hysterically. And Jeffrey Tambor, sitting next to her, tries to cheer her up by taking, a, like, a fistful of cake and eating it and going, it's good, it's good, this this cake, we'll use this cake. And then Anthony Hopkins just, like, feels bad that Marsha Gay Harden is crying. And so he, like, eats a little bit of the cake and he's like, oh, it's fantastic. This is the cake we're going to have. He only tries one of, like, the five cakes. <laughs> and he goes, that's the cake we're going to have at the party. And Marsha Gay Harden stops crying. Not only did that make me just go, what am I seeing? <laughs> like, like, why is Marsha Gay Harden crying that quickly about cake? But in between the conversation between Tambor Harden and um, uh, Anthony Hopkins, we just get cuts back and forth to Susan and Joe looking at each other <laughs> they don't say anything yeah. they just look at each other and so i'm like okay clearly they're an item or they're gonna be an item but then that's where the movie goes after that dinner scene there's like some stuff where uh joe and susan are together and you know they're getting closer and they're getting more intimate or romantic um i think they just kiss and then susan is like oh i, I should be going now because i think anthony hopkins like sees them and he doesn't say anything at that point um and so I, I guess that's the start of their little relationship. As it goes on, I think the next scene we get is the boardroom again. And this is where, you know, the, the entire board, Drew leading them, is like, who is Joe Black? Why are you relying on him? And Anthony Hopkins doesn't say anything because, of course, he's not going to tell him that he's deaf. And so then Drew goes, OK, we're going to we think you're crazy and old and you're not running the business right. So we're going to, you know, make you go through mandatory retirement and this merger is going to go through. So Anthony Hopkins basically gets like kicked out of his business. And that's when Jeffrey Tambor confronts Drew and he's like, you made me tell the board that he's relying on Joe Black. Like you made me get him kicked out of his position. And Drew goes, that's the plan all along. Like I'm a mole from this other company to make this merger happen and we're going to tear apart the business and sell all the pieces off to the uh. highest bidder. So he's like, Jeffrey Tambor, you shouldn't feel bad. You're going to be rich because you're on the board. And Jeffrey Tambor is just like broken up about this. Many of the following scenes, it is maybe not many. The next scene, it goes on so long and it is so awkward. It's when Joe Black and Susan have sex. Like, oh, it, <laughs> it is so weird. It is so <laughs> strange. Uh, the whole time I'm like, I don't. Like I, I said it on Cinemodities before that I think the uh, the the last hour of Twin Peaks: The Return has the least sexy sex scene ever. This might beat it with how weird this is to watch, because they're like getting close and you know they're doing the whole like movie movie sex type of thing, and when they show her face with like you know bad. Brad Pitt's on top and they show his back, but her face, she like looks really happy. Like she's like in love and it makes sense now 
because she does talk about the whole, oh, when you meet the right person, like sparks are going to fly, which you said Anthony Hopkins told her earlier. But when they show Brad's Brad Pitt's face, it looks like he's about to cry. Like it looks <laughs> like he is having the worst time of his life. And there was a part, where, like a point where I'm watching this and it goes on forever. And it's so awkward where I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like, is he is he going to like disappear because he can't have sex with a human woman? I was like, is he going to evaporate? And he's like feeling like the spider sense of evaporation or something. And I was like, why is he so upset? But, you know, they have sex. And then I think after they're done, it's like she has to go back to work or something. Because this was in the middle of the day. This is by the pool as well, I should say, which you mentioned earlier. <laughs> I didn't know the pool was in it before, the penthouse pool. And so um, as she's leaving, they kiss. And Anthony Hopkins sees them and Anthony Hopkins like says to Joe, like now I like, what are you doing? You're getting closer to her. And and Joe Black is like, I, I think, uh, you know, I like her and she likes me or whatever. He doesn't he doesn't use the word love. He definitely says, you know, just uh, like more of like a, a, this is the human experience, that type of thing. And Anthony Hopkins is like, no, you can't do this because you're deaf. You can't like you know, take my daughter away from me. And Brad Pitt is basically like, well, I'm not asking your permission, Bill. And it's, it's great. Cause I was just like, oh, oh, like this took a crazy turn. And he's like, I'm not asking your permission, Anthony Hopkins. And they scream at each other and all that stuff. Um, uh, but then kind of, it all shifts to, they get into a fight, you know, Anthony Hopkins and, and Joe and, uh, Joe decides he's like, whatever, you know, I want to, I want to see, uh, Susan more. So that's when he goes back to the hospital and because where she works and he has like flowers and she, he just goes up to the reception desk and he's like, I'm here to see Dr. Blah, blah, blah. And the guy at the reception desk is like, she doesn't get on till six. Can I help you? Excuse me. Can I help you? <clears throat> yes. Dr. Parrish, please. She comes on at six. And Brad Pitt just stands there and he's like, I'll wait. <laughs> and so there's, there's no resolution to that. The receptionist isn't like, you can't do that, sir, or anything. You know, like, why do you want to see this doctor? Um, but that, that, that just kind of ends. And the next thing we see is Brad Pitt walking around with the flowers and he finds the old Jamaican lady. And it's clear, like you said before, Zach, it's clear that the old lady knows he is deaf. Cause she's like, have you come for, have you come for me, man? And he's like, no, I'm here to see my lady doctor friend, man. And I was just like, what? And that, like I said before, that's the point where I kind of paused it. And I was like, do I need to rub cold water on my face? Like, like, should I drink some coffee? Like, am I finally losing my mind? Like that type of thing. And so, but no, you know, so the, the old Jamaican lady, um, they talk about like memories and stuff. And, you know, because she's like, oh, I got a lot of good pictures in my head, man, from all my kids that I raised and their grandkids. And and Joe Black is like, you know, I, I was like, I think I know what you mean about pictures in your head, man. I saw a naked woman now. And then and then and then they're both like Joe Black says something like, did you get enough pictures, man? And she's like, I have enough pictures, man. And then Joe Black kills, her, like takes her into the afterlife. And so so we literally see them have this conversation and then boom, this lady's gone. And Joe Black is like, okay, I'm off to see my love interest now. <laughs> and that's the end of that lady. <laughs> so take that nice picture you got in your head home with you. But don't be fooled. We lonely here mostly too. 
If we're lucky, maybe we got some nice pictures to take with us. Bonkers. Oh yeah, so that that definitely definitely stood out to me. That was something else. That's um, incredible. Yes. After after that, um, then basically, I think the remainder of the movie is the party, his Anthony Hopkins birthday party. Like the the pretty much the the finale of the movie is you know them setting it up during the daytime and then kind of you know all the way to the end of the party. Um, you know when they have the, when they actually eat the cake and stuff like that. So at the party, there's like. It's all these mishmash scenes where there's one where, you know, Marsha Gay Harden is setting everything up and she has like an emotional moment with Anthony Hopkins going like, I know Susan is your favorite daughter, but that's okay. You're allowed to pick a favorite daughter. I just want to let you know that you're my favorite father. And I was like, I was like, I guess if you want to rationalize it that way or I mean, that's like saying to like like a prostitute or something. Be like, I know you have your favorites, but you're my favorite. And it's like, you still have to pay them. Like what? Like you still have to deal with that issue. That's the kind of clunky analogy that we need to describe this film with. Yeah. And so so that happens. Um, there's there's more scenes with um, Joe Black and Susan at the party where Joe Black is like, I want you, like, I have to go away, but I want you to come with me type of thing. Um, and so he, Joe Black, you know, they, Susan and them are like, oh, we're in love. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to run off no matter where you have to go or whatever. And of course, Susan, not knowing that he's deaf. And Joe Black goes back to Anthony Hopkins and he's like, you know, it's time. Like, you're after this party, I'm going to take you into the afterlife and then I'm going to run away with your daughter, whatever the hell that means. Like, <laughs> I don't know, what is this, some, like, what is it, Demeter or Persephone? Like, Hades steals some human woman to the underworld? Like, I don't know what they were going for. But Anthony Hopkins is like, no, you can't do this because you're deaf and she's my daughter. And it doesn't matter if he's going to be alive or not. He wants the best for his daughter. And so they kind of have a fight. And then at the end of the fight, uh, Anthony Hopkins says something like, you're the god of death. You didn't, like you said before, you don't need my permission. I think you're here because you have turned into a good guy and you know that what you're doing is wrong. And this gets to, to death, apparently. Um, you know, the controller of all, all life, he's just like, oh, you're right, I am a good person. And he goes back to Susan, and he's like, you can't come with me. Like, we can't be together. And in that conversation, Susan realizes it's like, you're a different person than the one I originally met in the coffee shop. It's like, you are you are 100% a different being. And so she doesn't say, and he never tells her that he's deaf, but it's like, you can tell that she's like, oh, you're you're something different, and I understand that I can't go with you. And so they kind of have their, you know, their send-off. Um, and then Joe Black goes back to Anthony Hopkins, and he's like, okay, you're ready? I'm going to kill you. And then Anthony Hopkins goes, no, no, I had Jeffrey Tambor bring Drew to the party because I want to tell Drew to his face how I feel about him before uh, he dies. And so it turns out that when 
he got like the Jeffrey Tambor to go get Drew. Jeffrey Tambor came clean to Anthony Hopkins and told him about like Drew was a mole and he he was planning the merger from the beginning. So Anthony Hopkins has to like get his revenge kind of on bad businessman. And so what happens is they're all in the office. It's bad business dude, Joe Black and Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins has the whole board of directors on the phone <laughs> past dark, like to surprise bad business dude. And like while they're in there, you know, Anthony Hopkins is like, oh, I know that you were a mole. I know that you wanted this company to fail when you got involved in it, blah, blah, blah. You were just using me. And then Joe Black like starts to talk about it, too, because Drew is like, you have no evidence. You can't like prove anything. And then Joe Black is like telling him and he's given like this monologue about how he does have evidence. And then there's a really, really corny scene where Joe Black says to Drew, he's like, I'm going to tell you who I really am. And Anthony Hopkins is like, wait, no, Joe, you don't have to do this. And Joe Black, Brad Pitt, in his very, you know, terrible performance goes, I, and it cuts to Anthony Hopkins. No, Joe, don't do it. Am. No, Joe, you don't need to do this. An agent of the Internal Revenue Service. And it's like, <laughs> what? So tell me, tell me, I'm peeing in my pants. And you're going to pee some more. Joe, don't do this. It's okay, Bill. It's time we put this person in his place. It's not necessary, Joe. Drew's going to step aside. Not stepping anywhere. I appreciate your gentlemanliness, but what we need to do here is drive the dagger home. The dagger? I told you to shut up. Prepare yourself, Drew. I. Joe, please. Bill, kind of let me take it from here. Am. Don't. An agent for the Internal Revenue Service. And so that's how they play it off that Joe Black was like an undercover IRS agent who was in cahoots with Anthony Hopkins because the IRS had been following the other company for a long time for like tax evasion. And so, so then apparently Drew is just like, oh, you got me. You're from the IRS. And then he's like, uh, he's like I'll go and tell the board that, you know, I, I'm going to ch choose to leave because that's part of the deal. It's like you won't go to jail if you know just leave the company and call off the merger. And everybody on the board on the phone is like, we accept your resignation. Ha ha ha. And so like the bad guy gets his comeuppance. But it actually makes perfect sense because at the very end of the scene, Drew says to Joe Black, he's like, I never would have guessed you were a, an, an IRS agent. And Joe Black says, there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes. So it makes <laughs> sense that that line came up earlier. <laughs> OK, there you go. OK, pay yeah. off. Who would have believed it? You, an IRS agent? Death and taxes. Yeah, and then, so ben, then after that, basically, um, uh, Anthony Hopkins gives a speech, like, at his birthday party, and it's a very depressing speech, where he's, basically, the speech ends with him going, 65 years. They sure went by in a blink, and he just leaves the stage, meets up with Joe, and Joe takes him to the afterlife. And so Anthony Hopkins is gone, but then we see Joe come back into frame or Brad Pitt, I should say. And he's just kind of like walking around like, where the hell am I? <laughs> and he runs into Susan and Susan's like, oh, Joe, I thought you were leaving. And he's like, I thought you were leaving. Like when you left the coffee shop, I thought I was never going to see you again. And she like realizes that she's not uh, Joe Black isn't the person that she fell in love with or the being that she fell in love with. And she starts to cry as they're having a conversation where he's like, you know, talking about nonsense that I, I guess made sense from the coffee shop scene, but she's uh, just crying. And through tears, she's just like, 
I love you, Joe. And he's like, I don't think, I don't think I know you. <laughs> and she's like, we're going to start a relationship anyway. And they walk into like the distance and fireworks happen. And that's okay. the end of the movie. Okay. And I'm like, and I'm like, what? I'm like, she's going to, I'm like, clearly this is not the person she fell in love with. And she's just like, fine. You look good enough, I guess. <laughs> you look like Brad Pitt. How can I say no? Yes, yes. So that's how the movie ends, Zach. But I, I, as I mentioned already, I, I got a, I was very angry at this film. It wasn't with what I described to you because I agree, Zach. This is an absolute to use a use a term uh, that we often use, just not on this podcast. A, a true cinemodity. Um, the thing that, the thing that really annoyed me, was Claire Forlani was Susan. Now, I everybody knows on this podcast, I cannot stand Amelia Clark because she doesn't know how to control her voice. Uh, I I could not stand any scene with Susan because all she did was whisper. And it was specifically in the scenes where it's her and Joe Black, Brad Pitt, like really close together in their intimate romantic scenes where she was just whispering and I couldn't understand anything she was saying. So this is actually what happened. I, I was able to watch my half of the movie and understand everything that was going on at like a 30 volume on my TV. When the scenes with her came on, there was one, the sex scene specifically, where they were saying things to each other and I couldn't hear it. I cranked my TV up to 100, the <laughs> maximum it can go, and I still could not hear her. Now, I, to be fair, Zach and I have discussed this before. We don't know if it's me because I'm deaf from all the music or there's something weird with my TV, but I've had this issue before. But I've never had it where I could, I could only not hear one character in a movie. <laughs> and so... What actually happened as I was watching this at like 11 p.m. my time last night, um, I, I'm cranking up the TV to like 100 to try and hear what they're saying. And there's like the sex scene is coming on. The music is swelling and the music is crazy loud. Like the music <laughs> is way too loud. And it gets so loud that my neighbor texted me at late at night. And he was like, something's really loud. Like what's going on? And I was like, and I was like, I cannot hear this movie, this woman in this movie. I'm sorry. And he didn't text me back. What I actually had to do, I actually had to pause the movie, go find subtitles, put them on my hard drive, and then watch it with subtitles. I was infuriated. I was like, what decision was made to just be like, just whisper. Just whisper everything you say so nobody can hear you. Turns out, you don't need to hear what they're saying. It's completely <laughs> irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. One thing I should say that really stood out to me is that I wouldn't have picked up on this because she whispers, uh, but when they first, Joe Black and uh, Susan, they first see each other at the party, they, they see each other from the distance, so there's a bunch of cutaway shots of them looking at each other. But then as they get closer, she walks up to Joe Black, and the first thing she says, she whispers in his ear, there is something incredibly sexy about you standing in a group of people. I could make love to you right now. And I was like, is that, is that what's going to happen? <laughs> Does he really say that? Yes. Yeah. That is like the word, the line word for word. And now to be fair, I'm going off of subtitles cause I can't understand anything else. She actually says in this film, but that's, that's what it is. There's something so indescribably sexy about you standing in the middle of a crowd. I could make love to you right here. <laughs> this movie's incredible. 
It's yes. absolutely amazing that this exists. Once and I that, got the subtitles, I was less angry, but I was like infuriated that I could hear everything in this movie except one character. That's that's something else. This movie, oh man. Isn't it great that this movie is like intertwined with Star Wars forever? Yes. Uh, like, this, yeah. is a, this is a footnote in Star Wars history. This is this is one of the things that, you know, um, like I, I think we started this whole conversation where Neither Zach or I had really any interest in seeing this, but it turns out that it's actually, you know, a, a, just a fountain of things to talk about. <laughs> oh, it is. Like, as I was watching this, I'm like, oh, man, we're going to waste this on Knights of Vader when it's like, like perfect fertile <laughs> ground for cinematities. <laughs> this is like our first true crossover, you know, not counted like thumb. It really is. Like, holiday this- special. Like, this is a true cinematities bleeding into Star Wars. Yep. Oh yeah, this movie like it's it's so weird. And it's, it's the thing that's so odd about this is that like nobody talks about how weird this movie is. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't weird. even I I feel like I didn't really know much about this movie other than the name. Like I've heard of it for a long time, but that was it. No one was ever like, "Oh, check it out. It's great." You know, anything like that. Like or, or no one even told me it was bad. It was just kind of like, "Oh, it's there." Yeah, because like I've I've been aware of this movie forever because my mother loves Brad Pitt. And every time this movie would come on, like this was like back in the early to mid two thousands, this was a TNT staple. Like every Sunday afternoon. Okay. <laughs> and so like all she, three hours. Well, okay. There's a little bit of a story to that. Apparently, there's a hundred and twenty minute TV cut. Okay. That the director disowned because it doesn't reflect his vision because of how how much stuff they've cut out of it. <laughs> okay and so like every time this was on my mother would watch it and she'd get like teary-eyed by the end so, like i knew like i knew the ending of this because mm-hmm. i've seen i've seen the ending of like the two like anthony hopkins and brad pitt kind of like walking over like the grassy knoll together uh yeah. like I, i've seen that shot so many times but like i never like again, I, I figure it's like my mother does not have like any taste in movies similar to me mm-hmm. and so like i always figure it's just like it's it's a brad pitt like like romantic film like I, yep. I just figure it was that. Like I figure it's like it's just like run of the mill. It's like I don't know what other stuff he's done that's like this. But like I figured, oh, like there's nothing to it. Like it's the antithesis to a cinematity. Yeah, and, that's what I would have expected from the little bit I did read about it. Yeah. Yeah, and like the only thing that kind of gave me a, a clue to this, to how weird this was, that a couple days ago, um, when Star Wars Celebration was still like going on, someone like posted something. It was like. Like the story about like obviously like what people were doing with the Phantom Menace trailer, mm-hmm. and someone's like, I actually like sat through the first twenty minutes of this movie, and they were referencing the car like Brad Pitt <laughs> getting hit by the car scene. Sure, but I didn't watch it. I just heard like like it's like oh, there's this one scene like early in the movie that's like absolutely bonkers, and I kind of thought oh like wouldn't that be a clever idea for May the Fourth? And yeah, it's just like. Like I, this movie, it's a gem. Like it, it it's like it is a bonkers gem. Like it's like Rob, would you say this is up there with like Book of Henry and just like the inexplicably bonkers department? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that Book of Henry is a really good comparison to this because the way that I always describe Book of Henry to people um, that you know don't listen to Cinemodities or Knights of Vader who have not seen Book of Henry, I say you should watch this movie, and they're like, oh, is it good? And I go, no, it's a terrible movie. <laughs> But you will have so much to talk about it with. This also falls into that category, a hundred percent. Yeah, this is just like it's like everything about this doesn't make sense. Like, there's even one point I didn't even bring up that like any time like the characters like greet each other, the men in like Anthony Hopkins kisses his daughters on the lips so many times. <laughs> it is like it is upsetting. 
Oh, I don't think that happens at all in the second oh, half of the movie. Oh, it doesn't? No, oh, I think it... even when Marsha Gay Harden and him have their little, you know, like, they, they I don't know, uh, make up, because Anthony Hopkins knows he's going to die or whatever. Uh, I think there's, like, only a forehead kiss in that scene. Oh, no. In the first half, like, every single time Man. anybody greet, like, like, so like, like at the dinner scenes or, like, the penthouse scenes, there's numerous times where everybody's, like, being introduced to each other. So, like, uh, Jeffrey Tambor is, like, saying goodbye to Susan. He'll kiss her on the cheek. Yet when like Susan's saying goodbye to Anthony Hopkins, kiss on the lips. Oh, when man. Anthony Hopkins is leaving Marsha Gay Harden, kiss on the lips. And I'm like, it happens like at least four or five times. I'm like, this is like like off-putting. I'm like, why <laughs> why why is this father and daughters? Why are they doing this? And like you have that that's off-putting. Uh, you have the scenes with again, like I, I we really cannot overstate how bad the the Brad Pitt performance is in this. Yeah, like, it's oh yeah. Can you think of another performance in a movie where like an actor of that caliber just gives like like a crap the bed level performance <laughs> of that caliber? Mm, that that's a tough one. Um, I can't uh, think just, of one. I genuinely yeah. cannot think of, of uh, like another performance on par with what Brad Pitt does in Meet Joe Black. Yeah, nothing comes to mind. Like, yeah, because like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's so it's so strange. I you I'm thinking about it now, and you brought up such an excellent point. Like, how does it? How did? His career not tank after this film. It, he must. Like, I have to look up his filmography right now and just get a little bit of a picture or a better picture because, like, I, I just like this is the kind of stuff that like you have like an up and coming actor, which he wasn't by like 1990. He had he kind of people knew what he was. He wasn't again. Sure. He wasn't. I don't know if he was a household name by that time, but. Like, like he'd done things that people were aware of, like Twelve Monkeys, Legends of the Fall, Interview yep. with the Vampire. Um, and, oh, and, he, up- and he's good in like Twelve Monkeys and stuff. He's actually performing something. Yeah. So, like, I'm looking at it. You have oh, fight. Okay, fight. Okay, Fight Club came the same year as this. Oh, okay. okay. So there's so there's a very or no, the very next year because this was November and mm. and this was October. So a year later, he had Fight Club. Okay. What was after that? Then you have uh, he. I guess he had he was had a small cameo in being John Malkovich. Oh, okay. I don't Snap, that, but... Snatch. Oh, that's right. He's great in that movie. Yes, yeah, uh, Snatch, the Mexican Spy Game. Yeah, he had a really big. Two thousand one was a big year for him. That's when he started because that's when he was with um, Robert Redford. Yes. And uh, in Ocean's Eleven, when he kind of he started to become like a like like a superstar at that point. Isn't he eating in every scene that he's yeah. in, in Ocean's Eleven? Yeah, okay, I remember that. Every yeah. scene that, that that's, that's the joke in that movie that every single scene with him he's eating something. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, then after like that, he took he kind of he took a break for a couple years. Um, he only had like one movie in in two thousand two, which was a cameo. He did the voice in like the Sinbad animated movie, mm-hmm. and then he did like Troy, Ocean's Twelve, Mister and yep. Mrs. Smith, the, the Departed. Oh no, he produced that. Never mind. Um, yeah, and then that's when he started to like really. Then like that's when he started getting involved with Angelina. He'd do things like Babel, okay, uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, Burn After Reading, Benjamin Button, Inglorious Bastards. Mm, I loved him in Burn After Reading. I I thought he did a great job with that crazy fitness dude. <laughs> Nowhere near as good as a performance in quotation marks as uh, <laughs> Joe Black. <laughs> <laughs> like I guess the only like performance I can compare this to, not to not to go again to uh, Twin Peaks: The Return, but like think of like Dougie Jones. Like oh. it's a Doug, it's a Dougie Jones level performance. 
yeah, it's, we're, a, it's a it's a Dougie Jones level performance without the actual motive motivation for a Dougie Jones level performance. Yes, yes. <laughs> I guess I guess we should say Kyle McLaughlin is inten- is intentionally doing the Dougie Jones shtick. Yes. Brad Pitt and Meet Joe Black is not intentionally doing the <laughs> Dougie Jones stick. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah, that's the only other thing I, I, I really think about now. That's really the only other thing I can think of because, like, it's just. Yeah, you're so right. You know, like I said before, in, in my half of the movie where he, uh, Brad Pitt goes to the hospital. And they're like, oh, the, the doctor you're looking for doesn't get on until 6. And he's like, I'm just going to stand here and wait. That makes me think of, you know, uh, Dougie Jones when he just, like, stands outside of his workplace by a statue until a security card come gets him and brings him home, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, it's like, I, In my notes, I even wrote, like, literally every scene with Brad Pitt is comical. I don't think there's one scene in this with him where you can't, like, maybe excluding the very beginning where he's, like, the real person. Okay. I don't think there's a single scene in this as he's as Joe Black that it's not funny. Man. Like I, no, yeah, every, I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> there should be a there should be a cut of this film with a laugh track. <laughs> Especially during the sex scene I mentioned. But it's funny, I even wrote it in my notes too, like the music. Cause like at certain points of this that the movie's trying to be like overly sentimental. Mm-hmm. And like the scene is doing nothing. It's just the music. It's like, it's like schmaltzy music and it's like swelling yet. It's not reflecting what's going on. Like on screen. Uh, I agree with you there with, uh, some of this music that I heard blasting through my TV. I was like, this music is decent, but it has nothing to do with what's happening. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's like in editing, the editor knew, Oh crap, this doesn't work. So I'm going to try to like drag the audience there with like a schmaltzy soundtrack. Gotcha. That makes and sense. That's, okay. that, I can imagine the editor looking at this being like, what am I, how am I going to do this? <laughs> what did I how, get myself into? How do I make this coherent? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it was. They were like, let's make the music so loud. You can't hear the terrible dialogue and why I needed to find subtitles. <laughs> Uh, I, I think we have to, I think we might have to go. Try, we might revisit this again as a cinemati, and we where I watched like, the first half and you watched the second half. <laughs> no, unfortunately, we know what happens. Um, no, there's there's a 129 minute TV cut. Oh yes, that's right. Okay, so we uh, might have to go. We might have to go track that down. Cause yeah, because appara- apparently, let me see where where was I? I found that before. Um, yeah, a two-hour version was made to show on te- television airline flights by cutting most of the plot line involving Bill Parrish's business. Since the director derided this edit of the film and disowned it, the credited the, the director's credit was changed to the Hollywood pseudonym Adam Smithy. Oh, really? It was one of those? Yeah, it was an Adam Smithy. Oh, much, okay. much like Hellraiser 4. Yes, we definitely have to do this on Cinemodities then. <laughs> the, yeah, the Adam Smithy series. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be a good one. Right on. Yeah. So, okay. Can you imagine this film? We cut out all the scenes involving the business. Oh my God. It's going to get even slower and (laughs) cringier. Because then what's left? It's the romance and the family dynamic. It's just Brad Pitt. It's (laughs) all Brad Pitt. The Jamaican lady. (laughs) And the Jamaican lady in the peanut butter. Oh my God. (laughs) So, Rob, I think I know what snack we would eat during this. This was a cinematic conversation, right? (laughs) Uh, Cold lamb sandwich with peanut butter on it? Uh, no, no, it's separate. It's separate. Oh, okay, okay, it's separate. Okay, yeah. You have, you have the you have just the butter. It's called it, on the cinematic menu. It's called just the butter. Just the butter. <laughs> and then for the the cold the cold lamb sandwich, it says because roast beef is too chewy and chicken is too boring. 
Yes, I, I can I can get behind it for sure. Peanut butter was the only big uh, food item in the second half. I well, the the oh, cake okay. that I mentioned as well, but that's really that one scene. Well, that could be another option too. Like you, like you order the cake, and if it starts making someone cry, and you start smushing it in your face. Yes, <laughs> you have to tell them it tastes wonderful. <laughs> this movie, Jeffrey, man. Like, Jeffrey Sambor definitely he takes a piece of cake with his hand and shoves it into his mouth, and he goes, "Look, it's good, Marsha Gay Harden. Stop crying." <laughs> <laughs> I love little girls. Yeah. <laughs> He's like that. That's another moment in this where it's like, oh my god, that puts, I'm like, is whole puts like the whole character in a different light for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, in the, in the funny thing is, like, it comes out of nowhere. It's not like he's good with children or like him and Marsha Gay Hart. Like, he wanted to adopt a child and Marsha Gay Harden doesn't. It just comes out of nowhere. And it's like, why is this in the movie? Why did the writer write this? Why wasn't this edited out of the film? <laughs> like, there's oh so many God. questions. Like, somewhere, Colin Trevorrow back. Like, how old? Let's see. How old was Colin Trevorrow in 1999? Wherever he was, he was like, like went to a blockbuster and saw that scene playing like on the screen and was like, you know what? I'm gonna write a film franchise based all. I'm gonna write every movie I make around this one sequence in the film. Can you can you even talk about Colin Madman Trevorrow in terms of age? Isn't is he like see an entity that exists beyond our timeline? <laughs> He's the real meet Joe Black. He's yes. the real. He's death. He has no personality. He has no understanding of how things work. Yet he somehow keeps making movies that make millions of dollars. Yeah, and the real person whose body inhabited got hit by multiple cars. <laughs> <laughs> he just assumed his body. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. We cracked the secrets behind Colin Madman Trevorrow. <laughs> Oh my dear lord! Um, oh, all right, Rob. Anything else about uh, Meet Joe Black? Well, of course, I feel like we go on forever. But how? Uh, uh, Ze- I guess peek behind the curtain, Zach and I tried to put a time limit on this episode. How how much have we gone over that time limit now, Zach? Uh, we are at an hour and eleven minutes. Oh, that's not as that's not as bad. Nah, as not okay. bad at all. Okay, not bad, man. Not bad, man. <laughs> <laughs> and we have all the mem- we have all the photos in our head too to remember yes. it by. You got a, you got enough memories in your head, man. I got enough. I'm ready to die, man. <laughs> it's it's like again, this is the sort of stuff like I'm surprised in today's era where like, we keep like like judging things of the past by today's standard. I'm surprised that they haven't tried to cancel Brad Pitt yet. Like yeah. this is like this is something again, if any other actor like would like did something like this, it'd be like, Well, my career's over. Like someone like if this was like, oh God, what's Who's like an actor of like that would be like, like imagine like if Freddie Prince Jr. did this like he'd be <laughs> frantically trying to buy every single copy of this movie like Sarah Michelle Gellar comes home is like honey why is there like eight hundred thousand videotapes of this movie you made like in the late nineties quick quick we gotta burn them all before someone finds them and it ruins my career yeah they're gonna go in a land that landfill <laughs> with uh, all the Atari ET games you know that that myth that's gonna you're gonna find the old Atari ET game. And uh, millions of copies of Meet Joe Black, but an alternate universe with Freddie Prince Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, folks, Meet Joe Black. This if this was any other actor with torpedo. Like what is like like Jeffrey Tambor has been canceled. Anthony Hopkins is like I think this is one of the first early examples of Anthony Hopkins becoming like a paycheck actor. Okay. Um, Marsha Gay Harden like was like a lifetime actress now. Yeah, yeah, doing the like the like the zvu and stuff like I mentioned earlier for sure. Yeah, she is firmly just like you know what as long as like if it's on like cable television I'm good. Oh, she has a southern accent in zvu as well. I almost forgot about that. 
sure, why not? <laughs> and I and, and Claire Filoni hasn't really done much like in the last like what ten years. Yeah, I I didn't even know her like with as we've been saying so many people in this movie. Like as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, I know who they are, or I've seen them somewhere else. Like even the guy um who played Drew, bad business dude. Like he's he has like a recurring role on House at a certain point, so I knew him from that. I didn't know his name. I still don't know his name, but I, I was like, oh, I, I've seen him before. Uh, Claire Forlani was the only one where I was like, who is this? <laughs> Why can't I understand a word she's saying? Yeah, she's done some stuff like in television. She's done a couple like I guess small films. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah nothing, I don't think, I don't think really I've ever seen her in anything else. Yeah. I've seen her a couple other things, but nothing like I guess this was like kind of like her big like her big break. She was probably in some Law and Order episode that I'm not remembering, you know, like an she, early criminal intent or something. That'd be my guess. She was apparently in CSI New York, NCIS Los Angeles, and uh, the new Hawaii Five O. Mm, okay, okay. There's a picture of her on on Wikipedia. She has two pictures on Wikipedia, and the second one's her like looking down with her eyes Ooh. shut. Oh man, <laughs> what, a weird, what a weird picture to have on your uh, Wikipedia entry. Yeah, really. Alrighty, Rob, we ready to wrap this special May the Fourth edition of Knights of Vader up? I think so. I think so. And like we said at the start, um, you can certainly uh, tune in a year from now to get our further thoughts on Meet Joe Black. I maybe like next- I like building these traditions. Zach. <laughs> maybe next year we'll finally do Book of Henry. We'll re- by that time. Uh, what it'll be what two years since we discussed it on Cinemodies? Sure, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm sure I will have many new things to say about it when I watch it again. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so concludes this episode of the Knights of Joe Black, a Meet Joe Black podcast. Check out the Facebook group, Knights of Vader. Find us on Instagram, at KOV Podcast. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check out the show notes and hear more from them. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies, where we'll be talking about music movies, where I think maybe by the time this comes out, maybe not, we'll, well, the following, well, I guess at this point, it's the ending of the Avengers Endgame experience. Yeah, yeah, if uh, if you if you uh, have loved this discussion and you want to hear us talk about more movies, I believe the most recent episode uh, of our Cinemodities podcast would be about Avengers Endgame. Yeah, we get to see the resolution to that. All these things yeah. being recorded after that. Oh god, <laughs> I guess I, are all these things being recorded before that. <laughs> we're in a we're in a time vortex. It's tough to get out of. We need a time stone. Someone someone call Thanos. We need a dish glove with a bunch of glowy <laughs> things on it. Um, so Rob, when you are not singing the praises of Claire Filoni and and Amelia Clark, where can people find you? Ah, uh, yes. So as we said, you can find me on the Cinematics Podcast with Zach every week. Except for one. Uh, and also you can find me through an inspiriority complex. Uh, maybe on the side of the street, peddling for some for money or food or something like that. But always through the Facebook group where you can hear some of our music that is not on Spotify. And you can also hear us sharing uh, things that we find to be inspiriority. So a great outlet for some cool new music if you like what you hear at the start of these episodes. Thanks for having me on, Zach, as always. Love to discuss non-Star Wars things on Star Wars podcasts. Uh, just uh, just check it off my bucket list every time we do it. <laughs> no, nothing will disenfranchise the listeners after coming, after coming off our best month ever, like a Meet Joe Black episode. You got to keep them on their toes, you know? It's, a, it's, it's, it's podcasting whiplash. You know, it's always, always kind of good to throw that in there. 
Exactly. Nothing bad can come of that. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye. Goodbye.